recovered from it and you'll recover from it. And it's good to have Angel here. And some of you may not be aware, but he was in the hospital. Yeah. And uh, uh, which reminds me, Sister Carolyn, I want to talk to you after church about some things. Um, get your professional opinion. And, uh, but um, it's good to have him here. And uh, it's good that we're not having a funeral service. <laughs> He's excited about that too. <laughs> Amen. But uh, you know, it's good to be a it's good to be a Christian. You know, it, it just is. And let me uh, just throw this into the mix. Next Sunday night, we're going to have a like a singspiration next Sunday night. And Peter will make more details known tonight. He's, he's preaching tonight, but um, we'll have a singspiration next Sunday evening. We haven't done that for a while, and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, so, Abby, you and Peter can sing that again next Sunday night. <laughs> Amen. And uh, do you sing, Angel? Does he sing, Jesse? <laughs> huh? All right. Okay, right on. Uh, amen. All right, let's open our Bibles here this morning to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. In verse 11, we have started a series here that we're going to, to run with for a little while. And uh, just want to um, present it to you, give you something to think about. Isaiah 54, verses 11 and 12. O thou afflicted! Tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of agates and the gates of carbuncles and all the borders of thy borders of pleasant stones. Lord, helping us this morning, I want to preach on the breastplate number two, but more specifically on Judah, Judah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Lord, we thank you for everything that's been accomplished up until now. But, but Lord, everything is that we do, Lord, in, in church up until this point, Lord, is, is focused on what we're doing right now, and that's preaching. So I pray that, Lord, you'd help me to, to be the best that I can be, Lord, for you, uh, Lord. And, and, Lord, the only way that I can be the best for you is for you to help me. Because, <laughs> Lord, within my own abilities, Lord, I, 
I, I'm lacking. And so, Lord, I'm always cognizant of the fact that I need your presence in my life. I need your Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, when, 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 when you and, and me, Lord, are on the same page, and, Lord, I know the needs of these people will be met. So, Lord, help me as I get into some of these details, uh, these specifics, Lord, of, of something that, Lord, is not preached on uh, hardly at all in Scripture. Uh, help us, Lord, to learn in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We've been talking about the breastplate that the high priest wore into the holy place. And once again, on that handout that you have, you can see that picture of that man on the front there. That is exactly what the high priest looked like. Um, no, it's not a picture of me uh, yet, but um, uh, that, that's, that was his attire. You can see all the... The, the things that he, the details in, in his garments and so on. But more specifically, what we're going to be looking at for the next several services is that little plate that's on his chest. And on that plate or in that plate are 12 stones. And those 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It was to be worn close to his heart. Exodus chapter 28 gives us a description of this, this detailed work. You know, while, while I was studying this, um, I was thinking about my neighbor, Eugene. And I, I remember down through the years, you know, I've been over there a time or two when Eugene is doing the details of of. His, his bird work, you know, taxiderming. And he has all these little paint brushes and he gets, you know, and he makes all the details. And I, I remember Eugene saying, how can a person not believe God when they've seen the details of a bird? That's something I never forgot. But, but of course, you know, Eugene is so good at what he does. He's, you know, he, he gets down there and he gets his glasses on and... and and he gets right in into that and, 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 and does extraordinary work. And, you know, I always tell people, he's the best of the best. And, uh, and with, with what he does, because when, when you see how he does it, it you, you would agree with me. But the, 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 the reason why I brought that into, the, into this picture is it's the same with the Word of God. You know, we can, we can lay out the Word of God, and there's, there's things in the Word of God that are mentioned, but on the surface, we just think, well, that's just part of his attire. But when you really look into the details, when you get, get it under the magnifying glass and, and get it up there on the table like Eugene does with that bird, and he's got his, his little scooter chair right up to it, and he's, he's looking into it, and, and he'll take a little brush or something or a little comb and he'll, he'll ruffle them feathers just a little bit, you know, or do whatever he does and, or how he makes that happen is, is, is it's, it's really, that's why I call him Eugenius. And, uh, but, but it's the same with the word of God. When you, when you look into the word of God, I mean, you and I just walk in there, we'd say, well, that's a bird, you know, and it's a nice bird, but we don't see the details. 
like a, a person does that gets in there and has to make it all look right, make every little detail um, look just like it needs to look in the original. And it's the same way with the Word of God. We get in there and, you know, you just look at it as, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you look at it as the Word of God. It's coming out of the Word of God. It's a garment. It's a, it's a, it's a priest. But the details is what I want us to, to, to focus uh, on here for a while. The breastplate. Now, now, now once again, these, these 12 stones, and you can flip that over, and that is kind of just a, a, a blown-up picture uh, of the breastplate. But the, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, it was, once again, worn close to the high priest's heart. Now, this breastplate, was not according to genealogy, their birth order. The stones are not in that order, but according to tribe. Jacob had 12 sons and uh, through four different women, he had two wives, uh, which was Leah and Rachel and their two concubines, Billa and Zilpha. And between the four of them, they had 12 sons. Matter of fact, I just kind of wrote it out a little bit. Uh, Jacob technically had 13 children, had one daughter, but he had 12 sons. How would you like to have been that one daughter, uh, being raised with 12 sons or 12 brothers? But Leah was the first wife of, of Jacob, not by choice, but by trickery, and uh, when Leah became Jacob's wife, uh, she had uh, four sons right away. Number one was Reuben, number two was Simeon, number three was Levi, and number four was Judah. And then Rachel, who was somewhat barren at that time, she took her handmaid, Billa, and she said, go in unto Abraham, and Abraham went in unto her, and uh, Billah had two sons from Abraham. Uh, number five was Dan. Number six was Naphtali. Well, then Leah, her handmaid, she took her handmaid and said, you going on to Abraham it was just like, hey, let's see, you know, it's all about having kids, you know. And, and so Leah's maid went into Abraham and, and they had, she had two more sons. Number seven was Gad and number eight was Asher. But then Leah had a, a, a time where she could uh, get pregnant her, uh, again herself. And so she had number nine, Issachar, and number 10, Zebulun. And, and uh, Dinah was, was really the only girl. She would have technically been number 11, but she was the girl. She was just kind of out of the picture. But then Rachel, Rachel, the Lord opened up the womb of Rachel, and Rachel had two sons, and that's Joseph and Benjamin. And we've all heard of Joseph and how he was the prime minister of, of Egypt land. Let me just comment just a little bit to, to give you some understanding. It, it's kind of an introduction here this morning. But in First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, now the sons of Reuben the firstborn of Israel, because keep in mind, Leah's first son was Reuben. 
And so the Bible says, now the son, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy, now once again, listen to this, is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was of Joseph. So and it, here's, here's our scripture uh, reference now, proof that the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright because of what Reuben did. He, he went in uh, and committed a, a heinous act of immorality on his father's bed. And, you know, God put it that way. So the question that you might have, well, why was the birthright passed to Joseph and not to the second born? You know, why wasn't it given to Simeon? Why did it go to Joseph, who was technically the 11th son? Well, although Joseph was the 11th born in the birthing order, he was second in line because he was the first one born of Rachel. Remember, Rachel couldn't have children. But, and Jacob loved Rachel. And so after some time, the Lord allowed Rachel to, to bear children. And she, her firstborn was, was Joseph. And so when Reuben forfeited or lost his birthright, it automatically went to the next firstborn of his wife, which was Rachel, which is, which, which is interesting. But when Joseph, through his time in Egypt land, you know, as a, as a slave and being brought up in Potiphar's house and then in prison and then making his ascension as uh, to the right hand of the Pharaoh of Egypt, uh, he became prime minister and he took a, took a wife. And he had two sons of that wife and their names were Manasseh and Ephraim. And what Joseph did was he gave up his placement as a tribe and passed it on to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so when, when you look at that diagram there, the, the very third row of stones there uh, on the breastplate were the names of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Now, once again, Ephraim and Manasseh are Joseph's children. Benjamin was the second born of Rachel, which means that uh, Joseph's true biological full brother was only Benjamin. All the others were, you know, half brothers and, you know, they, you know, different different mom and so on. All the same dad, but a different mother. And, uh, but, but Benjamin and Joseph was really close. If you remember when Joseph, uh, when his brothers came into Egypt to buy grain, Joseph said, well, what about Benjamin? Because see, that's why Joseph was so uh, interested in Benjamin because that was his, his little brother, his little biological brother. So, Benjamin is the only son out of the 12 that was named by the father. Now, that's interesting. 
All the others were named uh, uh, by, by the mother. But uh, in Genesis 35, 18, Rachel, you know, uh, the one that Jacob first loved, uh, which was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin, when Benjamin was born, she called him Benoni, which means son of sorrow. But Jacob called him Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. And, and in time, we will get down to this third row because this third row of, of gems has a, some really significance. Why God allowed it to be this way. Uh, amen. Why, why God engineered it, uh, you know, planned it to be this way is, is fascinating. But, you know, the, the second thing that I want us to look at here this morning is in Numbers chapter 2, uh, we see a diagram of the order of the 12 tribes camped around the tabernacle. Now, if you look at the bottom corner, uh, I, I, I couldn't find any diagrams to to, to do what I was thinking uh, uh, on, on the internet, so I made my own. Now, this, this diagram of the, the, this copy of the breastplate, that is from templeinstitute.org. Now, you can, you can lose your mind trying to find out the, the proper colors and the order of the tribes and so, and, and so on. There's like 30 different options you know, the way people read scripture to, to plat this all out. But I went to the templeinstitute.org and they, 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 they put a lot of emphasis on getting into the Torah, you know, uh, early Hebrew history and so on. Matter of fact, they're the ones that have all the, the garments and all the materials ready for the temple to be rebuilt. Now they're working on the, the ashes of the red heifer and so on. But they're a very credible Jewish resource, uh, templeinstitute.org. And so that's where I got that diagram. But up in the top right-hand corner, I put a note there, and it says, Numbers, the book of Numbers, records the position of the 12 tribes around the tabernacle. Now, if you look down in the right-hand corner, this is exactly what uh, uh, the Bible says. On the east side of the tabernacle, where the gate is, that little space there, in the first row, and that's what we have on this diagram here, we have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Now keep in mind, and I, I caught this when other people have, haven't caught this. Always remember in Hebrew, they read from right to left, not from left to right. And so a lot of the, the resources that you might see on the internet, are, they're wrong. And, uh, but while I was studying this, that just popped into my mind that, hey, remember, Hebrew is read from right to left. And so that's why I have uh, Judah on the, on the top right corner, that first gem there. Issachar is number two, and Zebulun is number three, the, car, the carbuncle. But this is the way the Bible, the Bible says that they were to, to uh, uh, camp around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that tent or that church they had in the wilderness. On the eastern gate was Judah, Iskar, Zebulun. The second row, or which would be the south of the tabernacle, was uh, Reuben, 
Simeon and Gad. Gad uh, didn't print on there. You might want to write that down. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Uh, to the west was Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And at the north was Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. That is the specific way that they were supposed to camp around the tabernacle in the wilderness. They couldn't just arrange themselves however they wanted. If you look that up in, in, in the book of Exodus, you'll see exactly that's the way they were supposed to, uh, to formulate. Now, um, Exodus records the name of the stone and the placement and its placement on the, the uh, breastplate. And so you have numbers here, you have the placement of the tribe, and in Exodus, uh, you have the, um, I, I think I have that turned around, you have the numbers, you have the placement of the, uh, of the stones, and in Exodus, you have the placement of the tribes. And the reason why I wrote them in the order, or we're studying in them in the order with their names, uh, the way that they are, is because I'm taking Exodus and Numbers, I'm bringing them together, and I'm doing the way uh, uh, the Bible says, not in their genealogy, but according to their tribe. You know, like, the, uh, I hope I'm not confusing you, like at the Eastern Gate, there was three, three sons, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. So I'm taking them by the natural order that Scripture gives in two different places, not only according to the stone, but also according to their placement around the tabernacle. And so, what you know, God relates their names to the stones. Like when he looks at Judah, when Judah is mentioned, what God is looking at is a Sardis stone. That's what the Bible says. That's what it strongly indicates. And so, uh, uh, you know, when he sees Simeon, he sees uh, a gem. When he sees Manasseh, he sees a stone. When he sees another thing, he sees another uh, name, he sees a stone. And when, when they were encamped around this tabernacle, you know, we see names, Judah, uh, we see Issachar, we see Zebulun, we see them all planned around. But see, keep in mind, just kind of like when Eugene looks at a bird, when he looks at a bird, he sees more than what we see on the surface. Looking through the eyes of God, when God looked down upon the tabernacle, he saw 12 stones. 12 precious stones. And he saw something that we normally wouldn't see, although it's in the scriptures here. It's there for us to look at, but most of the time we just simply don't see it. In essence, God's tabernacle was surrounded by walls of precious stones and fair colors. And once again, trying to envision this through the eyes of God can be, can be fascinating. I mean, that's kind of what I do. I when, when I'm studying like this, I really get into trying to imagine and, and, and get a picture of this in my mind. Now, in Numbers chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, we, we see here that in the first place went the standard of the camp. Now, it, it's like the military. The military, when, when, when be it the army, the marines, the Navy, uh, whenever the, the Air Force, whenever, whenever they 
are in boot camp, they have what they call formation. And they just don't, when, they, when the sound is given, they just don't all go up and get, uh, you know, stand up how they want. They have a formation that they have to, a standard that they have to meet every time they're called to attention. But when they, what do they call it? When they parade, when they parade, there is a, a formation that they all uh, uh, simultaneously march in a cadence that they have. And it, it, it can't be out of step. It can't be out of swing. It, everything has to be perfect. Well, when the, when, there was that same standard with the children of Israel. When they marched, they had to march according to their placement around the, the tabernacle. And so in the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah. Now see, Judah is number one. That's why we put him as the number one stone. Amen. The number one gem. And that is the correct stone because not only does the Bible give it, but so does templeinstitute.org. But we go more with the Bible. But um, anyway, uh, according to their armies and over his host was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, and over his host, the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Zur. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. And so once again, uh, you know, if, if this isn't too complicated for you, we have it written down here. We have Judah, Issachar, and, and Zebulun, just according to the scriptures. Amen. So every time they went out and marched, they went in this order. Judah went first. Issachar went second. Or, uh, yeah, Issachar went second. And Zebulun went third. And so on, all the way down through all 12 of them. They had an order uh, that they paraded in. That was what the Bible calls their standard. Now, um, you know, other nations watched Israel. I mean, Israel, when they turned into a, a nation and started moving about and conquering and, and doing great exploits as God commanded them. Other nations took note of it. And, you know, like uh, Jericho, they heard, you know, Rahab heard who the, the Israelites were and the other countries that they had defeated and so on. And, you know, as they went about, as these nations watched them, you know, God was seeing something different. It was more than just people. They were gems. They were stones that were moving about because the, God put so much emphasis on that, that that he took these stones and he put them on a, a breastplate and he said it's going to be worn close to the heart of the high priest, God sees something different. It's like looking at that bird. Eugene sees something that I wouldn't see. But when we look into God's word, we see, oh, there's something that, man, I've never seen that before. That's what we're trying to do here. Now, a stone or these gems in their natural condition doesn't reveal their real, their real beauty. Most gems, if not all of them, have to be cut and they have to be polished. 
When we lived in Sierra Leone, I, I thought this was interesting. I, um, I, I did a little research here. February the 14th, 1972, there was a 968.9 carat diamond found in Sierra Leone. 968.9 carats. It's massive. It was the fourth largest diamond ever found in the world. In uh, August 16th of 2018, a 709-carat diamond was found by a 16-year-old boy. When we were there, we were there from 90 or 87 to 94. But in our time there, I, I remember hearing the news where a, you know, these bush people, I mean, there's diamonds everywhere in Sierra Leone, diamonds and gold. And I, I remember hearing this story of this bush man that went out and they use these old hand plows, you know, when they go into their swamp and turn the soil to plant rice and so on. He was, he was out there and he was turning the soil and he hit something with his, with his, his hand plow. And uh, he pulled it up and he thought it was a big potato, a sweet potato, because they grow sweet potatoes really big. And that's what he thought it was. And so he, he took his, his hand plow again and he struck it. He struck it and a big portion of it came off. And that portion that came off was a 385 carat diamond. So I, I don't know how big it would have been if he wouldn't have broke it in half, you know, or what portion if it wasn't half or, or, or what. But the biggest part that was left was 385 carats. And that, that was while, while we were there. But, you know, once again, he just thought it was a potato, uh, a sweet potato. But, you know, that, that's the, the nature of gems. You find them, you, you get an idea what they look like in the rough, but then you polish them. You polish them, amen, until they, they become uh, reflective and so on. But the, the whole point of this whole stone uh, uh, concept in the eyes of God and why he relates it to you and me as believers, even to the extent where he named 12 tribes after it and put them on the uh, breastplate of, of the high priest, is that, folks, we are to reflect the glory of God as believers in Christ. We are to reflect his image. Amen. Stones reflect under light. Can you imagine the reflection of these stones on the breastplate of the high priest as he went into that holy place of the tabernacle uh, under the, the, the golden candlestick, the menorah? Can you imagine the, these polished stones just glittering and reflecting off of his, his chest? I mean, once again, I, 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 can, I, I can almost get a grip on that. It, it must have been something that was just totally beautiful. Amen. But... This, this first stone here that we're going to look at here this morning is, as it says on our, our little schematic here, is Judah. And that's what the Bible lays out, Judah. And uh, in uh, Genesis 29, 35, and she conceived again and bare a son, bare, bare a son. And he said, now I will, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she shall call his name Judah and left bearing. In Exodus 28, 17, and thou shalt set it in settings of stone, even the four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, 
a topaz and a carbuncle. This shall be the first uh, row. Now, this is a good example of the order that we have on this breastplate. Judah is number one, according to uh, Genesis 29:35, And so the Sardas stone is, is the number one gem. And so we put those two together. That's how we come up with that. Um, his stone was the Sardis. Now keep in mind that the breastplate served as a memorial to God continually. It never stopped. In Exodus 28 and 17, and thou shalt set in its settings of stones, meaning the, the breastplate here, uh, even four rows of stone. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle, and so on. And uh, uh, in verse 29, and Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. Now, see, this is just something that we're thinking, I don't, I'm not really following you. You know, I, why, what's so important about this? Well, it's important to God. It was something that God wanted to see continually because it reminded God, not that he forgets, but God wanted to see these 12 tribes continuously. And he associated them with such a, a beautiful gem. Amen. So if Judah is, is number one, or since Judah is number one, if you look Judah up in, in, the, in the Hebrew, Judah means <laughs> praise and worship. And you, you can do your own self-study and so on. And, uh, but... This is the first stone that you need when you're going into battle against the enemy of, of your soul. You know, praise and worship has got to be number one in the, in the life of a Christian. It just simply does. You know, so many times, folks, when, when we get into a battle or we get into some hard times and so on, what's the first thing we do is we get frustrated and we get fed up. Remember, God walks to a completely different beat than what we do. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. When you get in, when you're about ready to get into a battle or you find yourself in a, in a battle, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to praise Him. You're supposed to praise Him. Amen. You're supposed to acknowledge Him. Amen. Uh, he has got to be number one in your life in praise. <laughs> praise is such a, a significant part or should be such a significant part uh, in the life of a Christian. I, I remember, you know, 40 years ago when I got saved and went to church and I got saved. And of course, I wasn't raised in church. <laughs> And uh, maybe you don't feel this way, but this is the way it happened with me. You know, I, I'd, I'd be in there, and and uh, and you know, I was I was so saved. And I'd during song service, you know, I'd watch different people. You know, somebody'd raise their hand, you know, and <laughs> you know, and another person would raise their hand. You know, I'm just back here singing, and yeah, whatever. You know, that's that's cool, and and. Uh, and then, you know, I'd see a bunch of people going like this, and I'd think, okay. And, and uh, so, you know, Pastor Ben, one time, he just kind of commented on it, and he said, you know, the Bible says, lift up holy hands, praise the Lord. And, 
you know, and so I'll never forget it, you know, that uh, we was in one service, and I thought, man, everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it, <laughs> you know, and so when they were singing and so on, you know, and I, I, I just put my hands up, and I began to praise the Lord, and it really helps when you close your eyes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> praise the Lord, and and uh, so I began to praise in Him, and and uh, yeah, I've been doing it for 40 years now, just praising Him. You know, praise is something that that is so important to God. It should be first and foremost uh, in our life, amen. Worshiping Him, acknowledging Him, amen. This is the first stone in the foundation of wall. Remember of the walls. Remember Isaiah said that I'm building precious stones, a foundation of precious stones around your life. This is the first stone that God wants to see polished in our lives. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. Amen. Now, in Numbers uh, chapter 10 and verse 14, again, gives us the order in which Judah marched. He was number one uh, that went out uh, in formation. But Judah had a captain, you know, like, uh, well, he, matter of fact, he was called, uh, I believe, a captain. In Numbers chap, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, I don't know if I wrote it down or not, um, but it, let me just, let me just get it real quick for you. Um, numbers one and two. No, I, 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 I have the wrong address here. That's why I didn't write it down. But anyway, uh, Nashon, um, was a, uh, was the captain I wish I didn't write down the wrong verse. But, but anyway, his, his name means, and now once again in, in, in the Bible, names have meaning. They just didn't name their kids weird stuff like we do today, like Zoe or, uh, you know, there, there, there's so many different names out there. Huh? George? Okay. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, um, you know, they, they're, they're, they, they named their children uh, with names that had significance, with, with, with real meaning. And Nashon, being the captain of the army of Judah, when Judah went out, that was Nashon's cue to, to take and lead them out in formation. And what his name means is enchanter, a whisper of a magic spell. You know, you're thinking, well, where does that fit in? You know, here we have praise and worship. That's the whole tribe. But then one comes out of the tribe that's supposed to lead the tribe as they march. His name is Nashon, but his meaning is, is enchantment, whisper, uh, 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 a magic spell. And... <laughs> Now, once again, I'm, we're, we're, going, we're going deep in here. You know, when you stop and think, now, now we're Pentecostal here. You know, I, there, there's nothing like Pentecostal worship. I, I, I love it. But you have to admit, under the guise, under the cloak of Pentecost, there's a lot of dumb stuff out there being manifested. 
There, there, there simply is. The, uh, I mean, when, when, when you, I mean, I, I, I bend my, my ear to it. I, 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 I'll see clips on, on the internet or something like that of some really weird things that go on in some church services. They, they, they do, you know, you know, some of the excessive shouting and rolling on the floor and, and just the gyrations and things that people do. And, and, uh, you know, no wonder people look at some of that stuff. And when you say you're Pentecostal, they're going, oh yeah, you're one of those guys, aren't you? You roll on the floor and, and things like that. And, and hiss and I mean there was a movement down in Florida where people when they, they said when they'd get in the presence of the Lord they would bark like dogs and hiss and and, and that's not the God I serve. The Holy Ghost that, that's in me doesn't ask me to do stuff like that. You know they may have a, 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 a spirit but it ain't the Holy Spirit. You see? And so there's stuff out there that is that is, this is really strange. I've, I've, I've watched uh, clips where people were laughing out of control. They couldn't talk because they were laughing. So, you know, I just don't, I, I, I don't believe in that. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He, 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 he brings order into your life. Amen. He'll never ask you to do something that's against your will. He's a perfect gentleman. Amen. Nashon you know, this, this captain, he, the Bible says he was the son of Aminadab, which means people of liberality. People, in other words, people who are free that had no boundaries. Now, let, let me just kind of tie this in. in. In Genesis chapter 49, and let me turn there, Genesis 49, And verses 1 and 2. And Jacob called his sons. Jacob's getting ready to die, and so he calls his sons to his deathbed. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Those are always two words that always get my attention. In the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. So he's getting ready to, to die and he wants his sons to come around him. But we have to understand that Judah's blessing, to get the full meaning of his blessing, is you have to understand that he's the first stone as scripture lays it out. You know, that's the schematic of scripture. And so in verses 8 through 12 of 49, we see Judah. He's addressing Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall, what, praise? Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp for the prey of my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. He is an old lion who shall rouse him up. And listen to this. This is a prophecy of Christ. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. And so we see here 
that uh, Jacob is pronouncing this whole thing upon Judah. This is what's going to befall you. This is what's going to happen to you. And so Judah's blessing, if you look at it, according, now, according to the order of the, the, the way the sons were, 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 were uh, given, Judah is number three. And, uh, but it, it's not like that in the genealogy pool, but in the tribe. You know, he's number one. He goes out first. But when Jacob gives him the order of how he's going to bless his sons, he gives it to him as number three. But there's a significance because in number three, uh, what does three mean in Scripture? It means completion. It means resurrection. It means trinity. Judah's blessing was third because God wants it to be complete. He says, thy brethren shall praise thee. Now, there's a negative and there's a positive side to this. Thy brethren shall praise thee. You know, there's, there's some men, the negative, you know, they, they, they enjoy the praise where God doesn't get it. There's men out there, I mean, I've seen it, where they, they enjoy people clamoring it uh, over them and lifting them up, and you don't see God anywhere in it, but it's all about the man. It's all about what kind of ministry he's made and so on. But the positive side to this, when thy brethren shall praise thee, is when, when, when you can genuinely praise somebody because you see Christ being reflected in their life. Man, he's a good man of God. He's a godly man. Why do I know that? Because you can see God in his life. She's a godly woman. How do you know that? Because I can see God in her life. That's when your Sardis is shining. But we shun this because of all the bad that we see. I'll tell you, folks, I, I mean, I, I hope I'm not being too cryptic here this morning, but when it comes to praise and worship, a lot of people shun that simply because they, number one, they may not understand it, but number two, if not number one, they associate it with all the bad that's out there. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do that. Learn to worship. Praise and thanksgiving are inseparable. You know, do you, do you lift each other up? Do you praise each other for the, the, the deeds that are, are, are done? You know, when your children, as, as they're growing up, do you lift them up when they do as they are told to do? Do you, do you praise them? Do you give them praise? It's something to think about because we can be so negative. We just expect it to be done, but we don't praise people or our families for doing what needs to be done when they, when they do it, amen, because they know it's the right thing. Do you husbands praise your wife? Think about it. That's a good meal, baby. Appreciate the hard work. My wife worked hard here of late. The people that she's entertained, you know, that we've hosted in our home, all the meals. I let her know that, honey. I appreciate all you've done. She not only cooks the meals, but she cleans up too, the kitchen and things like that. My wife will tell me, you know, when she knows I've been working hard, you know, she'll say, you know, appreciate your hard work and things. We just kind of lift each other up. Amen. In 1 Chronicles 5, 2, the Bible says, Judah prevailed above his brethren. That is why God set this as the number one stone, because praise prevails with God. 
When Debbie and I were in Bible college, we lived in a little one-room 11 by 17 cabin. And I had a little piece of cardboard attached to the wall as we walked out, and it said, praise God anyhow. Praise God when you walk out of this cabin. Praise God when you're walking out of this church and so on. Amen. In some churches, people do nothing. But in some church services, somebody might be polishing up on their sardis. You know, you'll see somebody kind of get caught up worshiping the Lord. And it happens that way sometimes. You know, we can be singing a song and you might see so-and-so over there with their arms raised up, their hands raised up, just worshiping God. God really speaking to them. They're just polishing. Amen. That's what God wants. God wants praise and he wants worship from you and I. If we're going to call ourselves Christian, then we need to learn to praise and worship him. It, it's beyond what people label as emotionalism. It's a biblical pattern for you and I to live our lives. It says prevailed means that he was stronger. Our praise should be so strong, folks first and foremost in our life. Then it says he will rule above his brethren, which means govern. Uh, praise regulates everything else that, that we do in our life. Amen. But there's always more. Now, when it comes to names, you know, they, they identify an object. Um, a, a name speaks of the object's character. Uh, it can speak of their duty. In Deuteronomy 33, 7, it says, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. Now, Judah's gone, but the tribe is there. And he's saying, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah. Well, what is the voice of Judah? Praise. It's praise. Amen. Praise, thanksgiving, confession. This is something that God will hear. It's something that God wants to hear. Amen. He wants to, 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 to see you and I lift each other up. He doesn't want us putting each other down. In Psalm 104 or 100 and verse 4, the Bible says, Every time we gather, you have an opportunity to polish your uh, uh, sardis stone. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Amen. Praise the Lord. In Deuteronomy or uh, Psalm 147.1, the Bible says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. Comely. Comely is that which is proper. If you look up the definition, it's something that's proper. It's something that will beautify a person. And then in Deuteronomy 33, 7, the Bible says, uh, let his hands be sufficient for him. And this is Moses at this time. Uh, uh, he's, he's blessing Israel, and he's talking about the tribe of Judah, make their hands strong. Amen. Make it strong. Judah is praised. Lord, make them strong. Make them a strong people that will praise thee and put thee first. Now, it's interesting um, you know, when, when, when you and I it, look at praise or people outside 
of the church look at praise? Why, why is there such a battle for it? Why? Why is there so much misunderstanding of praise and worship? Why is there there's such a, a a I want to say deceitfulness or a a falsehood in some praise and worship? Why? Let, let me let me give you a biblical reason here. Because Satan, the reason why he tries to get in and infect worship, why he likes to get in and contaminate it, why he likes to get in and cause a person to ignore it, is because it was his covering. In Ezekiel chapter 28, this is talking about Lucifer. This is powerful. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Now listen to this. Every precious stone was thy covering. He's talking about Lucifer. This is, this is what covered you. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. You see, Lucifer was created as a worship archangel. That's what all these stones. He says, you had all these stones at one time. This is what you were. But because he, pride was found in him and he was banished from heaven, he was put out. His position is gone. His position has never, ever been replaced. There's never been another archangel put in his position. Why? Because God gives you and I his presence, his spirit, amen, so that we out of our own volition can raise our hands and begin to praise him and worship him. That's why Satan hates worship, because he was once the leader of it. Amen. In Psalm 27 and verse 6, as Hannah comes to the piano this morning, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. If you just praise the Lord when things are hard, it can lift you above the enemy. It can lift you up. Get in a place. I, I remember, and I've, I've said this before, but when our firstborn, um, uh, it's, it's really interesting, yesterday was her birthday. I, I didn't plan this. But um, when we first discovered that um, just a couple weeks from after the birth, we, she was, or a couple months, uh, she wasn't eating or anything. She went down to four pounds and some odd ounces. And we took her to, the, to a Spanish doctor, couldn't speak English, couldn't even speak Creole, Dr. Fernando. And we said, our baby is, is not eating or anything. And he opened up a big 
book. This is in Sierra Leone. He opened up a big book and he opened it up and he pointed to a picture and he spun it around and shoved it at us. And he said, this is what you got, this is what you got. And it was a Downs baby. They call them mongoloids. My wife and I, we just looked at each other and we never said a word. And he had a little room attached to his office. And he, he, he motioned for us to go in there. And there was a little cot in that room. And Debbie and I never said a word to each other, but we cradled her and we laid her on that little cot. And in the bush of Sierra Leone, West Africa, Debbie and I, we just got down on our knees and we raised up our arms and we began to praise and we began to worship God. That's what we did. At that time in our marriage, it was the most devastating thing that we ever experienced. Traumatic, not devastating, traumatic. But our response was, let's just praise God. I didn't tell her to let's praise God, or she didn't tell me. We just got down and we just worshipped Him. We just worshipped Him. You see, we were allowing our Sardis stone to be polished. Just praise and worship Him. You know, we go through things here, folks, and, you know, life's not easy. It's simply not. Life's very complicated. And it's getting more complicated. But I, I want to challenge you this week. When things are difficult for you, you children, just find a place and begin to praise the Lord. You, you young people, just find a place and start praising the Lord. We didn't understand it all, but we just started praising the Lord. And man, we had a little worship service. I can still envision that, that little worship service we had. <laughs> Next time you and your wife feel that you're going through something that's difficult, just get in the confinements of your bedroom and kneel down and just begin to worship the Lord. Don't fight, don't bicker. Just worship Him. That's first and foremost, that's the order. It serves as a memorial continually to God, being on the, the breastplate of the high priest. You know, the altar, we open the altar up for prayer and that's good, it's really good. But just, What's wrong with coming to the altar and just worshiping? Just worshiping. You're going through a difficult time and, and, and I sure pray for you. I sure will. Just raise your hand and let me know that, hey, you need prayer. That's good. And I'll pray for you, but 
Can you worship? Really, that's first and foremost. See what God does. Remember, his ways are above our ways. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I know it was very detailed. There's a lot in it, Lord. And I hope I didn't lose anyone. But, but Lord, if there's just some simple truths that we could gather out of Judah and out of the Sardis stone, Lord, is praise and worship, Lord, is to be in the front of our lives. That's supposed to be number one in our standard. We're people of standards. But have we ever really stopped to think about our standard of praise and worship? Just praising you and worshiping you for who you are and what you are? Well, I'm, I'm always reminded, Lord, that, that when the disciples ask you to pray, teach them to pray, you, you said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You know, that all has to, 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 to do with this. Getting our, our hearts, our minds off of our problems and focusing on you, Lord, is what you want from us. Because when we can focus on you and, and, and give you our undivided attention, Lord, you take care of everything else that's behind us, that we're facing, that we're experiencing. But so many times, Lord, we do it so backwards. We're such a backward people. God, help us to do it right. I pray that the Holy Ghost, Lord, would settle upon each and every one here, Lord, and that we remember the next time we, we go out, the next time we're having a struggle, the next time that there's a difficulty, that we just praise you. In Jesus' name. The altar's open this morning. You're welcome to come and 